0: afternoon. I love that little sense of anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> the theatre goes all sparkly and twinkly as you wait for people to start. My name's Catherine Favell, and I'm the Director of Community Outreach here at the National Library of Australia. And on behalf of my colleagues and our friends at the ANU and the Canberra Times, I'd like to thank you all for joining us this afternoon on what's a glorious but slightly chilly Canberra autumn day. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I thank their elders past and present for caring for this land we're now privileged to call our home. I imagine that Michael Connolly needs little introduction, and I imagine too that many of you were here with us this time, almost to the day, four years ago, for Michael's first visit to the National Library. And can you believe it was actually four years ago? Feels like only maybe two years at the most. (laughs) Described as the finest crime writer working today, Michael has been in Australia this week to attend the Sydney Writers' Festival, and we're delighted he's included Canberra on his itinerary again. After three years as a crime reporter for the Los Angeles Times, Michael wrote his first thriller, Black Echo, which was published in 1992. Black Echo, of course, introduced us to the wonderfully named detective Hieronymus Harry Bosch. Fast forward to today and there's a new Harry Bosch book ready to go onto our bookshelves and Michael's the author of over 30 books which have been translated into 31 languages. Michael, of course, has interviewed Harry Bosch a couple of times. Today, though, Jeff Popple will be asking the questions and Jeff, I'm sure you know, he's very well known to us as a reviewer of crime and thrillers for the Fairfax Press. So let's get into it. Please welcome Michael Connolly and Jeff Popple to talk about the latest Harry Bosch novel, *The Burning Room*.
1: Thank you, um, Michael. Welcome to Canberra again. Um, I might like to, to start with, uh, with, with Harry Bosch, um, and I was going to ask, after some twenty-three years and uh, seventeen plus novels, um, how do you do? You still enjoy writing about him?
2: Um, yeah, I do. I, I think you got to trust me when I say that um, if I ever get to a point that I don't enjoy writing about him or I don't feel there's more to say, then I'll stop writing. I, I just won't keep writing about Harry Botch just for, uh, you know, the paycheck or because I know um, there's people who want Harry to read about Harry Botch. It really has to mean something to me um, because uh, it's it's it, you know I have uh, I have mixed emotions I have a great job it's like uh, it's unbelievable I get to do this and that I'm I come all the way over to a country across a vast ocean and people care about Harry Bosch I mean it's amazingly <laughs> it's amazingly fulfilling but it, but it is hard to do and and um, once a year I am standing at the bottom of a mountain. With, with zero pages and i have to come up with 400 pages and and that it's daunting so so you really have to be plugged in you really have to be excited you really have to want to say something about this character and explore something further or uh it's it's going to be a very tough year um <laughs> and and it, you'd be better off writing about somebody else so that's why if i'm writing a harry Bosch book i really i'm really into it and uh if, you, if, if some years go by and there's no Harry Bosch, then, that, then you probably the message is that I've, um, I've lost that uh, integral um, excitement for doing it.
1: Okay. I, um, there's a lot of um, serious characters in, in crime fiction, but I think there's probably only two which I look forward to reading about every time. One's Zeme Rankin's Rebus and the other one is Harry Bosch. Um, how do you keep him so fresh uh, for, for the reader, do you think?
2: Um, well, you were—I was kidding you before that—that—and um, makes it sound like I—you assume I do make it fresh, so that's a compliment. <laughs> so I appreciate the compliment. Um, you know, I, I don't know. That's part of the—the uh, the mysterious thing about fiction. Some characters have had a grip on me, and some haven't. Mm-hmm. Some I've written only one time, and I didn't come back to them, or uh, two or three times. And uh, for some reason, Harry Bosch is always very active. Um, in, in my mind, um, I also think that the detective is a perfect vehicle to explore anything. So whatever intrigues me at the moment, um, anything going on in the world, there's Harry Bosch and I can, I can figure out a story that gets him into that story, uh, into that idea or, uh, or exploration of that idea. And maybe that's one reason why, um, uh. You know, and and I think you know, I, I made some choices as a rookie, as a neophyte, that ended up serving me well. I guess my instincts were right, but the idea of aging him in real time, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the reasons why um, he remains fresh, at least to me, because uh, I'm uh, he's evolving and he's changing against the city that's, and society that is changing. And those things all, um, I think, keep it fresh.
1: The, um, I guess that's one of the, for me, one of the appeals is, is the fact that um, he is very much a man of his times and you, often you address um, social issues um, or contemporary issues in your books. Do you think that's part of the appeal to people as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't do this, um, especially as many times as I've been allowed to do it. Um, uh you just got to have another a higher or another dimension to what you're doing. Uh, it can 't just be about a clever plot and uh, fooling the reader about who did it. Um, th- those things are extremely important, but they can't be the only things going on so so you, you definitely uh, have to go in looking for a uh, another dimension of, of meaning to your storytelling.
1: The the books um, for me, when I look when I go back and look over them, as they very much provide a sort of um, you know, like a history of LA almost over, over the time. Um, do you think that um, your experience as a journalist has helped you be able to weave that sort of political and social history in, into the books?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, multiple levels the the history of my my history as a journalist has uh, helped me do this. Um, you know, I went into journalism hoping to get to crime scenes and courtrooms and things like that and, and observe what I wanted to write about as a novelist. But it's given me other dimensions. And I think, um, you know, uh, I, had, I, I, put, I put this in a few of the books that I've written about Jack McAvoy, the journalist. Mm. Um, but, you know, when, you're, uh, when I was working for the Los Angeles Times, the, the editors were always hammering you, and they would always say B and D, breadth, breadth, and, uh, breadth and depth you know i can't even say the words uh, it's 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 why it's something whenever i talk about my journalism days i i react yeah. but um but they were always looking for a a a deeper dimension even in crime stories and and i think i carry that over to uh you know to my books um you know the journalism has helped me in many ways just in writing style and work ethic i've been able to write at least one book a year for 23 years or so and and i don't feel like um under pressure or any or anyone, anyone's pushing me to do that. That's the pace that I write at with um, a lot of comfort. It allows me to come to Australia and do other things to promote and still still get the books done. And uh, and I think that came out of the ethic of journalism where you write every day. There's no such thing as a uh, writer's block. I haven't been afflicted with that because in newspapers it's not allowed. So, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, and and so that's all that stuff has really served me well. I think
1: it's been a good training ground for you, and I guess for, for other writers as well. That now that, as you say, that capacity to be able to write every day because you, you know, it's part of the job, sort of thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I always say you've got to write every day, and the truth is, I don't write every day. I, what I do is um, uh, when I start a draft. I write every day, and, and with, I'll admit there's always some kind of exception. Like, I might drink too much on my anniversary, <laughs> and the next day's lost, but um, <laughs> that's when I say I have writer's block. But, uh, <laughs> But I, what I do to try to keep momentum is write every day till I get to the end of that draft. But then it actually serves me to try to forget about that and and take a vacation, and then I come back with uh, you know uh, new eyes on, on it, and I go back into that draft, and then I start writing every day again as I do a rewrite. Um, but there is there is certain times where you want space. Away from your writing, and mm. um, you know, you want you want a churning in your head, of course, but you're not actually moving your fingers on a, on a keyboard. How often do you
1: rewrite once or, twi- or twice a novel? Or?
2: Um, to me, uh, you know, rewriting is is where everything comes together for me. First of all, so mm. I I usually do um, two two. Uh, I mean, I, I write a book. I'll rewrite the book. Then I'll start letting select people see it. Like I have some, uh, if it's a Bosch book, I'll show it to some detectives. I'll ask them to read the whole thing and give me notes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do a rewrite based on their notes. Um, if it's a Lincoln lawyer, I give it to some lawyers to help me. And so um, the third rewrite is is with, with input. You know, yeah. And sometimes I let my editor read it, although I... I would l- really love to just have a book as in best shape as possible before my editor sees it. Um, so I don't do that all the time, but it ends up being about three three rewrites before um, um, it goes into the real official process. And rewriting is is a great battering ram. Uh, you know, maybe I have had writer's block. I'm not really sure, but you'll you can reach a point where you. I don't outline my books, so I'll. I um, I know where I'm going, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of know the beginning and end and then I head in that direction, but there's like 300 pages <laughs> I don't, uh, that are uncharted territory and sometimes you write and write and write and you feel like, how am I ever going to get towards that end? I'm, I'm over here now. I got to get over there. And I've often found that if you back up and just start rereading your book and make little fixes here and there, add some dialogue, uh, you know, exchanges of dialogue in my first drafts are usually short. And then I go in and add a couple more back and forth. And I always add, like, 50 bosch nodded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um and so anyway, the, and, and the, going through that rewrite, I finally come to that point where I was having issues, and I, and I kind of pushed through it. So to me, in my head, it's like a batting ring. You pull back, and then you hit the door, and you go through the door.
1: Have you ever um, got to a different ending than what you were expecting to get to? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I've often had that happen. You know, it's like a variation on mm. the ending. Um, one time, uh, I wrote a book called Angel's Flight that I was so clear on how it should end. I actually wrote the first chapter first and then I went back and wrote the rest and I I just missed that ending. Mm -hmm. Like when I came out to where the ending was, it was over there and I had to rewrite it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when they were... uh building uh, railroads in the United States, and they started on one <laughs> side, and they were, uh, they were two states away.
1: <laughs> the, um, your current book, which is out, The Burning Room, but, um, I, won't, I won't give it away, but the ending of it leaves uh, Harry in, in an interesting situation. Um, do, you, um, do you have a, a long-term vision for him when you start? You sort of plotted it where he's going to be over the next two, three years?
2: If I had a long-term vision, I wouldn't have started the series with him at age 42.
0: <laughs> I
2: would have said 32, so I'd have um, have more time. But, you know, um, you know, back when I started the series, I, I put some Cs in the very first book, hoping I'd get a second book. Mm. Um, and now here I am. I'm, I'm at home. When I'm at home, I'm, I'm writing my 20th Harry Bosch book. Wow. So it just could not be foreseen what happened. And... Uh, so I'm very lucky, um, but he's aged in real time. And uh, I've said in the books he was born in 1950. So he's he's uh, in uh, the burning room to me. Uh, you know, um don't want to give too much of a spoiler, but to me the book is about Harry realizing that his mission in terms of carrying a badge and a gun and being a representative of the state is coming to an end. Um, and uh, But what's good about it is in this book he is assigned a, a new young partner, and uh, he ha- had a lot of preconceived notions about her, but then realizes that she might have the same sense of mission that I have. And so there's a almost a, uh, it's going to be okay, Harry. Um, there's somebody, you're not the only guy, mm-hmm. you're not the only person who has this sense of mission, and, and it will be carried on by someone uh, maybe for 30, 40 more years. And so that's what the book's about. And, of course, there's a murder investigation and stuff like that. Actually, there's two murder investigations or multiple murder investigations. But they're, to me, um, the framework around this larger story about Harry. And so that does dictate a new direction. Um, And uh, that's the book I'm writing now. It's called The Crossing. It'll be out in October. And uh, um, it's about Harry going in a new direction. Um, I, I, I hope I'm writing about Harry Whenever I'm done writing, or whenever I die, I hope I'm writing a Harry Bosch story at that time. So there's no plans to end Harry Bosch, but um, but he has to go in a new direction.
1: Okay, um, and of course now Harry's sort of got his own uh, another life, if you like, you know, through television for the TV show Bosch. Um, you were involved in that. How, how did you find that experience?
2: Well, after um, you know 25 years of sitting in a room by myself and writing. These books, it was a refreshing change. It's, you know, obviously, a very collaborative medium, and uh, so it was all new to me and exciting. Um, I was very much involved and uh, had a lot of fun in the last year um, working on the show.
1: And you were pleased with how it came out?
2: Yeah, I'm very pleased. Um, in fact, I'm. Writers always have this uh, kind of crutch that you know, if they make a movie of your book and it's awful, you can always say, you know, Hollywood. Screwed me over and Hollywood messed up my book. Um, I can't really say that about the show because I, I was involved in all key decisions. Uh, the actor who's playing Harry Bosch, I picked him. Um, I, if, if, you, if you watch the show in July when it comes on here in Australia and don't like it, it's all on me. You can <laughs> go on my Facebook and tell me so. Um, uh, but my my, I think you'll like it. If you like the books, I think you'll like it um i'm cuz i write the books and i <laughs> like it and i and i think uh it, it is a very good translation and it's like a book like translation um to me um kind of like start a slow burn like a book you gather momentum um and then hopefully you uh can't wait for each uh I was about to say episode. When we were writing this uh, show, we never called them episodes. We always called them chapters because we were always mindful. The whole team of writers. We had six six writers on the show. Um, we're very mindful that we're uh, adapting a book, and it uh, a, very, a book that's a series of books that are very s- specific to a city, and, and that we have to get all that right. And I think we did. Um, but to me, it is like it is a real capturing of a book. Um, as a uh, TV show. I should say books because the first season is 10 episodes, but we draw from uh, three books, Uh, you know, some more than others, but essentially three of the books.
1: It's, um, I've had the pleasure of, um, of watching it, um, and it's very good, but I found uh, uh I, found I was sitting there watching it with someone who hadn't read the books, and I kept saying, oh, but you know, in the books this, and in the books that, and, you know, and I thought, I'm just, um, I'm just actually ruining it for myself and for the other person, so I stopped <laughs> doing that. And I think it's a good idea. It's, a separ- it's been related, but it's a sort of separate sort of thing, and it works um, very well, and there are enough um, uh, touches in there, I guess, to, to bring it back to the, the books as well.
2: Yeah, I mean it dictated a lot of changes like in the Harry Bosch books it's the books are completely through his point of view so everything you know in the book comes through Harry's eyes and his interpretation to the reader and uh in making a TV show you couldn't have Harry Bosch in every scene um you know that's 14 16 hour days the actor would be You'd be so such an angry Harry Bosch. I mean, Harry Bosch is already angry. I'd, it would be really rough. And so, so we had to show lives and action of other people, like uh, his his semi nemesis, Irvin Irving. We show him with his family and his son, who's a cop. And you know, so there, there's invention. Uh, we we uh, take a lot from a book called Echo Park, in which um, a very bad villain, probably one of the worst villains I've ever written about, escapes and is loose in Los Angeles. But in the book, it was you only knew what Harry knew as he's closing in on the guy. Um, in the show, we show him loose in Los Angeles. We show what he's doing while Harry's looking for him. And uh, so there's, there is lots of invention. At the same time, I'm saying mm. it's very loyal to the books. I think why I say that is for two reasons. Um, I think the Los Angeles we've captured in this show is exactly like the Los Angeles I know and that is in the books. And I think we got the right guy to play Harry Bosch. Uh, an actor named Titus Welver, I just think, nails Harry Bosch. And so that, those two things allow us the freedom to, to create some stuff that's outside of the books.
1: Yeah, he, he does a very good job. Uh, there's also some nice touches. I, I like the poster of um, for um, um, Black Echo. Um, right. And also the, the apartment, other the building, oh, the... His house overlooking the um, uh, the city—it's just fantastic.
2: Yeah, the um, it's, it, that, that's TV for you. The uh, his house it has a much grander view than he does in the in the books, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and, uh, it, and it, I think it immediately begs: How does a LAPD detective <laughs> afford this? The house is actually a shack. It's a terrible house, but it has like an unbelievable. View And so we, through the course of the season, we have to explain how that happened. And so we invented that a movie was based on him, and, and Hollywood paid him the big bucks. And so, so we have a poster of a movie called The Black Echo um, on the wall prominently displayed, and it's explained a couple times uh, in the course of the season.
1: Um, perhaps moving away from, from Harry for a moment, um, y- your next book uh, reunites him with um, with the other character that you used quite a bit, uh, Mickey Haller. Um, is it hard shifting between the, the two viewpoints? Do you, do you enjoy writing about Mickey as much as you about, about uh, Bosch?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do enjoy writing about Mickey. He's uh, he's lighter than Harry, um, uh, in my mind, you know. Um, just something about his personality, and so... I call these books the hybrids, where they've both been together. I think this is the third or fourth mm-hmm. time, and uh, I do enjoy because I, I, you know, I don't know if readers even get it, but I, I think there's some humor in the in the uh, the digs that go back and forth between them and the banter, and uh, I've always found that uh, interesting. I'm doing this one qu- quite different from the other ones. Usually, the Lincoln lawyer books. Uh, Every time I write about Mickey Haller, it's in first person. He's explaining the world to us, the reader. And this time, it's all through Harry Bosch's eyes. There's no, um, there's no um, point of view from right. the Lincoln Lawyer. And uh, so it's been interesting um, to do it that way.
1: And um, I mean, the Lincoln Lawyer has also had some. it uh, been made into a movie as well. Is there any other plans to do more movies in that series or not?
2: Um, yeah, we. You know the guy who plays him is now one of the biggest stars around, mm. so he's hard to get. Mm. Um, so, but every now and then, I'll, out of the blue, I'll I'll get an email from McConaughey saying, "Where's the script?" So he's inter- <laughs> he's interested. I have nothing to do with the script. It's yeah. kind of like it's it's very cool to be able to say I get an email from Matthew McConaughey, but I have no I, have <laughs> no, I can't do anything about it. Um, but I always forward them to the producer of the film because he's the guy who who can uh, get it together. And so they they have a script being written by the same guy who wrote the first movie based on the gods of guilt. So hopefully that will um, be a good script and Mm -hmm. hopefully that will lead to another movie because it's been a while. It's been like four years.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and then sometimes you also do some standalone novels as well. You got any more plans for a standalone novel?
2: Yeah, um, I really feel um, I should come up with a new character. Uh, it, it's weird. It's like it weighs on me almost like a guilt thing. Like, <laughs> like it's my duty to not rest on my Mickey Haller, Harry Bosch laurels mm. um, and come up with something new, you know, as a writer. Um, um, approaching 60, I feel like I have one, I should have at least one more really good character. And I think in Burning Room I started the, the, the Harry mm. Bosch's uh, partner lucy soto i really liked her a lot she comes back in the book i'm writing now and and maybe i can see her being a uh a lead protagonist in a book i'd like to do that uh at some point but i also feel like i should have something new and and I, I have the inklings of it working out now um it's funny i was at a um party like a fundraiser and uh a private detective was at this thing and uh he uh, um, just came up to me, and he was familiar with my books, and he started telling me about <laughs> uh, one of his sidelines. And it was, I thought it was so interesting that um, you know, I got his card, and I said, you know, I want to circle back and talk to you about that. And I, that kind of has taken off in my head, and um, that could be a new character.
1: Can you ask what the sideline is? <laughs>
2: um, he's a, um, it, well, it, he's called an air hunter. So what's an air hunter mean? I was thinking A-I-R, like he's looking for clean air or something. <laughs> but it's it's heirs uh, to people who oh, uh, oh, are yeah, H-E-I-R. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: And, uh, and just the case he mm-hmm. talked about where he's trying to find an heir to somebody who died with $20 million and they couldn't find any relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what he went through to find find somebody. And you then if, if you add in my new usual stuff of murder and danger, <laughs> it, it's going to be pretty good. It sounds pretty good, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you've just... Um, you're lucky you're here. You were up in Sydney at the, at the Writers' Festival last week. Um, is that an important part, you think, of the, of the author's role now, so sort of ten festivals and signings and stuff like that—is that? Is that um, helps that uh, help the book progress along?
2: Um, I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just fun to do. I mean, and you see... Uh, you know, normally if you're on a book tour... Um, it's just you and like you it's always good when you can go to something and see other writers and writers you know or writers that you uh love their work and so forth that's always fun um but it's also it's just like a <clears throat> excuse me a great celebration of the importance of storytelling you know like so I, you know I've done a couple things in Sydney this week and it's just really hammered home to me that there, you know, it's just not all about book sales and things like that. There's some, there's some importance to it. You know, when someone comes up to you and say they're very worried about Harry Bosch, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and have you ever been to Los Angeles? No, I, you know, I don't know anything about Los Angeles, but I'm worried about Harry Bosch. <laughs> it it, it shows, it shows like this um, amazing importance in storytelling and how we take social cues and ideas of about who we are and so forth from books and it's a pretty sacred thing. And, and, and when I do a book festival or I do something like mm-hmm. this, that comes back home to me. So uh, they're important. It's not just to promote and sell books. They're, to me, there's, there's something that goes the other way uh, towards me and it's great. Okay.
1: The... Um uh, when you were when you were last here, we, we were talking. Uh, we talked about a range of things, but we were also talking about the impact of um, e-book sales. On, on, on at this time, I think you said your, the number of books you were selling through on, online have increased. Is that that's still the case?
2: Um, well, it's increased a lot since I was last here mm-hmm. because that was four years ago. But it has um, now. It's leveled off. Has but but um, in the United States, about sixty percent of my sales are e-books, so it's 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 huge. But but it stayed at sixty percent for about. I think two or three books. And um, so I don't know what that means. I, I leave that kind of stuff for other people. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't know whether ebooks have increased overall sales in, in the world, I mean, I mean in, among readers and so forth. But um, I have this uh, nagging suspicion that a lot of books are sold or, or bought on ebooks and then never read. Yeah. Because it's, the convenience is there, and you go, oh, I'll read that, and then you never get around to it. It just seems like if you buy a solid book, you're going to read it.
1: Do you think that, um, that uh, those sort of forums like on Amazon and that sort of encourage reading as well? Like people like that there's much more engagement from um, ordinary readers um, to you know, have instant reviews and comments on the books that they're reading? Well, there's a real
2: um, – I assume it happened here, but there's a huge contraction – of bookstores mm. and 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 before the internet you'd go into a bookstore and people would tell you this is this guy you got I mean I'm the benefactor of that that pe- there's so many bookstores said this new guy Connolly is uh, the guy to read and that's how my career advanced and unfortunately and sadly most of the stores where people were doing that are gone in the United States and they have been replaced by these kind of um, internet forums and so forth. So I think there is a great value to them. I, I kind of miss the days that um, that you could find that in a bookstore. Um, and there are bookstores still that you can do that, but but there's far less of them.
1: Yeah, they're few and far between here too. We've lost a number in, in Canberra, but also you know in Australia more broadly. So yeah. Yeah. It's weird though, and,
2: and it just seems like a lot of stuff is equ- uh, stabilizing or mm. reaching an equilibrium. The uh, e-books have, are now flatlining. Um, I've noticed uh, in my home, t- the town where I live alone, two two independent bookstores have opened in the last year. And then I know in other uh, parts of the country, uh, the uh, the number of independent bookstores has grown, actually. And, oh, right. uh, and hopefully they'll be successful and, and it'll stay like that. But um, it's interesting. It just seems like there's some kind of uh, change going on. Okay.